Welcome to the Thanks Therapy Podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Hannah Lydon. And I am Dr. Emma Lydon. And this is our therapy appreciation podcast, Thanks Therapy. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. And this week we are talking about the holidays and how to cope when you're approaching the holiday season with dread rather than joy. Thanks Therapy! Thanks Therapy! So this episode started, Hannah, from a place of realising that not everybody is looking forward to the holidays. Yes. So some people are approaching the holiday season with fear, dread, and also I think at one time or another everyone has felt that way about the holidays. I know I have. Yeah, me too. I think there's a kind of a unique combination of expectations and pressure and a presumption of joy that can actually make people feel worse if they're going through a difficult time. Absolutely. This is a very topical thing to be discussing right now because yes. we are 10 days away from Christmas. Oh my God, as what? We speak, which I can't believe I said that because <laughs> later on in the episode I'm going to talk about how I'm against the countdown thing. But um, I think if you had asked me in 2019, Hannah, how do you feel about the holiday season? Yeah. I would have been like, I'm a Halloween kind of gal. Mm-hmm. Um, and my complicated feelings towards it have only gotten more complicated since COVID hit. Okay. Uh, and I think we're all suddenly reassessing where we want to apportion our time and energy this festive season. Mm. That's something we can discuss in more depth later if you like. Definitely. But coming up to the end of December, I often have mixed feelings around the old festival. So let's get into it. Let's. Let's. Um, well, actually, last year you devastated me fully by going and getting COVID and COVID. having a jolly old time drinking and isolating with your housemate. Yep. While also depriving me of your beautiful company. I was not amused at all. I was really quite well amused because we just, so I was isolating with my housemate, my, my bestie, Anna Mobes. I don't think Anna listens to this podcast, Oh, but I'm going to give should. her a shout out anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She was working, she'd be, being an NHS Doctor. hero. Yeah. And of course she got COVID and then I got COVID because we didn't spend any time apart. Mm. Um, and we just made the best of it because neither of us felt particularly bad. We just felt, I felt sweaty. She lost her sense of taste. Mm-hmm. But we were able to make a full Christmas dinner, get dressed up and drink a lot of Prosecco and dance in the garden. Yeah. So we had an okay time. Um, but I always enjoy our Christmas day up at my parents, up at Beach Grove. My, your grandparents, no. No. <laughs> my parents, your grandparents. <laughs> your parents, my grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, drinking in the day, having a big feast. Mom is a brilliant cook and she has the Christmas dinner pretty sorted. Yeah. And then sometimes we do completely crazy things like have 20 of the family there and have to use the living room. The year that we had the French family over and we had 20 in a big long table in the living room. I was in the kitchen shouting, service! <laughs> Topher carved the turkey. The tray had a big hole in it, so the um, the juices were 
dripping down and Jack was just trying to lick them up as they as they fell Jack and the he dog. got covered Jack the dog he got totally his whole head was covered in turkey juices I missed that part I missed this did you not did I you something else was going on well he smelled great to the other dogs I was constructing the long table yeah. or something that was chaotic. I mean, it was totally chaotic, but it was also kind of legendary. Do you know what it I mean? It was fun. But I also like spending the day with you. We do our Christmas selfie and your mum sings Elvis and is hilarious and dances <laughs> around. Um, and I could go on. But I am painfully aware that this Christmas is going to be very different for our family. Mm-hmm. And actually, I decided in advance not to get into that too much in this episode. But I know that others out there will understand the pain of going through Christmas after a loss. And in general, I want to acknowledge that for some people, the holidays is not a time to look forward to. And so the first thing I want to say is that's okay. That's absolutely fine. Forgive yourself for that. There's so much pressure around these things. Christmas, even other things like New Year's, birthdays, and it becomes sort of meaningless when you break it down. You know, you want to have a lovely time at Christmas, of course, but you should be able to have a lovely time all times of the year. And the very fact of the pressure around having a good time makes you less likely to enjoy the things, I think, sometimes. Yes, very much so. And there's a definite pressure implicit in the cultural messages delivered through the media that Christmas is a time of joy. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's the Christian aspect to it as well, which we don't do that much ourselves, Hanzo. Not that strong on it. No, but even Christians can struggle to find the joy you know, given the message that's being constantly delivered by the media. So firstly, I would say if you feel this way at all, try very hard to resist this sense and instead feel it's just a day. It really is just a day. Spend it how you like or how you feel you have to and try to let go of the idealisation of it if you can. It's easier said than done, I know. Idealization is good is a good word for yeah. it. Funny enough, fans, yesterday I had my last therapy session of the year. Oh. We will reconvene in January. But we, we were talking about this very thing. Uh-huh. We were talking about I, I'm a person who struggles with birthdays. All right. In okay. quite a significant way. I'm sure you've been around for some of my more significant birthday meltdowns, no? N- not a single one, no. This is reassuring. We never spend birthdays together, I don't think, is the thing. Because I'm usually being weird and not (laughs) seeing people. But I was talking about that and how I'm feeling approaching Christmas and my 30th birthday next year and lots of different stuff. Um, And I realised that I've been deliberately, unconsciously not getting involved with any of the real anticipatory joy Mm. or anything this year. Because I feel like that for me is a, a definite surefire way to get set up for disappointment. Mm. Not, I mean, not even disappointment, but just like extremely high expectations not being met. Oh, yeah. And I'm not particularly Christmassy. I've never been, it's never been my favourite holiday or anything. But I do like certain things about the day, mainly the dinner. Yes. Um. So if I were really to build it up big expectation style, that, that would be based in nothing for me because I don't really, it doesn't have huge associations yeah. for like this is the best day of the year or anything like that. No, me neither. Um, I actually have a deeper non-season specific term for this, which I will discuss later. But essentially my approach currently and for the past few years has been to kind of carve out some space around it and leave room for my own checking in time to not get swept up in things. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. No, that does make a lot of sense. Um, I was guilty for many years of building up too much expectation. Like it has taken me a lot of years to kind of 
work that down. So congratulations on arriving that, at that at a much younger age than, than <laughs> I did, certainly. Mm-hmm. I do think that this time of year, there's a lot of build-up about it. And um, e- the gl- even the global emphasis on this particular Christian holiday, I think, can be very othering, not only for people who don't enjoy Christmas, but people who celebrate Eid, Diwali or Hanukkah, you know, other festivals that happen around this time of year. There's a focus for sure on the Santa and the Christmas trees and so on, and less on dreidels or Eid feasts or the fireworks and lights of Diwali. I found it recently, actually, that there's a traditional filled cookie made to celebrate Eid, which is the feast that ends Ramadan. Okay. And um, it's called Ma'amul. Nice. And I think it's probably closest to like a mince pie. There'll be um, people listening to this going, that is nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about. But I think the point I'm making is that, you know, we don't hear about other festivals. There's a big focus on this particular festival and then people can feel left out. Yeah. Um, And this festival, which isn't even originally a Christian one like, but we will get into that later. So maybe you are into Christmas, okay? Let's just say, for example, one was into Christmas and you were massively putting pressure on yourself to create the perfect day. Or maybe you're just struggling to find out what particular aspect of Christmas is causing you to stress Christmas balls. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If so, then you have come to the right podcast because we're going to break it down, Hannah. Okay, let's go. So the first point I wanted to make is the sheer amount of things to do. Like, how can you not be stressed with the list of tasks that have to be accomplished? I always think it's going to be really nice to get a nice break. I always say to people when I'm going off work, I'm just really looking forward to a break. And then I forget that it's not a break. It's it isn't much, a break. It doesn't feel like a break when you have so much stuff to do. Yeah. Present. You have children. Yes. Which is I different. Them. Um for me, that comes in the form of work. My my area of work gets very busy at yeah. this time. And also I like to take on extra jobs. Just yes. around this time, just to be fun and tired. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I always do the same thing of being like, it'll be so nice to just relax at Christmas. Uh-huh. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, I've, I've got like three jobs right now. And I'm tired and it's really cold. I know. And it's dark all the time. Well, I have reduced what I have to do. Year after year, I've definitely reduced it. But even now, if I follow the prescribed necessary tasks on a list, (laughs) then I have presents to buy, I have food to buy, you have decorations to buy and put up, parties to go to, family to visit. You know, the list goes on. And that is stress land. Mm -hmm. That's stress land. Many things to do, expectations to meet, joy to create, (laughs) pressure time. Joy to create is a big... That's a lot of pressure to put on oneself. Absolutely, yeah. Joy to create and then also joy to experience. And we don't do that the rest of the year. We're just like, this is me, I'm here, I'm happy or not. Yes. <laughs> but if you're miserable on Christmas Day, it's like, you know, know. people are going to remember it and your family will be like, do you remember that Christmas you were fucking weird the whole day? Mm. So let's maybe just be nicer to ourselves. I think so. We've got to change how we think about this. I'm doing it. We're ha- It's happening now. Okay. This is the beginning of it. Um, number two thing, then, Hans. Number two. Yeah. <laughs> Worries about capitalism and the environment. Yes. This is huge. I don't think there's anyone listening or a Christmas observing person on earth 
who hasn't at some point been given a gift they never use. Oh, yeah. Or given a gift just because they know they have to give something, otherwise it's rude. Yeah. I find that really depressing. So depressing. It's really grim, especially the aspect of food waste. Mm -hmm. That feels so terrible to think about when you know that people are starving. I know that's an oversimplification, but because it is a, a festival of excess... Yeah, it's hard not to sort of sit down to your Christmas dinner and think, wow, this is so unnecessary. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so lucky and also so privileged. And what's the point of it all? That's what I sort of try to not <laughs> try not to spiral down like that. That's what we're going to be talking about. I can today. do that with most things. I can get to the spiral of like, what is actually the point of this? Um, but something good to counteract that feeling mm -hmm. I have found is my friends and I, like my close friends, have like quite a relaxed gift giving policy, uh -huh. wherein I think that there's a general unspoken attitude. Yeah. If you're coming to a birthday or a Christmas party at someone's house, like you bring something useful like food or wine or flowers. Mm -hmm. But if you see something you like for them or if you think, oh, I bet they would love this new book that's coming out. Yeah. Get it and bring it at the next appropriate gift giving time. That's perfect. Under no circumstances should you be like, shit, I'm going around there tomorrow. I need to get them something and buy them some crap because I feel like you can tell it's yeah. sensed and it's a waste. And it's not appreciated then, it's really. It's not appreciated, yeah. yeah. And if you can't think of anything to give, just in the case of me and my best friend, Hannah C. Uh-huh. She's also called Hannah. Yes. She lives in London. Uh -huh. So for my last birthday, she was not here because it was during March 2020. Oh, right. Yeah. End of March 2020. That's so right. collectively, we're all freaking out. So she texted me being like, I forgot it was your birthday because I'm stressed by the pandemic mm. that we live in now. And she donated money to Women's Aid in my name. Yeah. And sent me a screenshot of the donation page. But she put loads of emojis all over it. <laughs> and I still have it saved on my phone. It's one of my most fondly remembered gifts of the yeah. past few years because it was meaningful and it also absolved me of, like, materialistic guilt. Totally. I, I totally agree with this. Um, the less I have had to buy, the, the smaller the list I've had, the happier I've been, for sure. And this year, I think, is a particularly good one. So our family, Secret Santa, we've got into a really good rhythm with that. I feel like we know what we're doing there. Yeah. Or at least I do. I know Dad is still struggling with it slightly. I have a story to tell you about that. Okay. We can wait. And um, my kids really want and need less and less. Like they don't, they just don't need anything. And then with Marty's siblings, again, because we don't want, we want so little, we're all just going to a comedy gig together That's to see Daryl nice. Brain. Actually, very funny Irish comedian, if you don't know him. Um, so... That's all great. I like a few sparkly things at Christmas, but absolutely less is more. Mm -hmm. So this is a big one and we'll probably take up the bulk of what we talk about for the next few mm -hmm. minutes for sure. Family tensions. Oh, yeah. It's the real stuff. Um, so there's so many levels of difficulty that you can have with your family from them just like doing your head in um, to have intentions and unresolved arguments then there's also going to other family homes. So, for example, if you're a couple, there's usually two families involved there. So you have to choose which family home to go to. And for the person who's with their in-laws, that can often be very difficult for people. Mm. You know the whole stereotype about people having tensions with their mother-in-law. Mm -hmm. um, this is rooted in a particular dynamic where there's a lot of competition. I've thought about this for a long time in my life because I've witnessed it with lots of my friends this this dynamic between 
the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law uh-huh. with the son in the middle. Yeah. Okay, so there's a competition for the mother role, for the the prime mother role, um, for the affection of the in-between person. So there's competition for the, for that son and mm-hmm. the affection. Um, and there's competition for children. And even in-law relationships with less tension sometimes do end up showing some cracks when children come along. Yeah. So while a new mother might look to her own mother for support, she's more likely to see her mother-in-law as interfering or trying to take over rather right. than supportive. Yeah. So Hannah, can you guess what Freud's explanation was for this conflict? If you had to guess, like just generally, what would you assume Freud's explanation for this? Um, is it all about sex <laughs> and penises? I was going to say, hint, it's about to do with penises. It's penises. So... Basically, Freud's explanation for this conflict was that it was based in the Oedipus complex. Yeah. So Oedipus, for those who don't know, but that seems unlikely at this stage of the game, was a figure in Greek mythology who killed his father and married his mother. So Freud used this character to illustrate what he believed was a love between mother and son that I think he suggested took on sexual aspects as boys developed and they wanted the mother all to themselves and they were jealous of the father. Mm. Um, But that it went both ways. So the mothers loved the sons and were possessive of them and didn't want to share them with this other woman. Um, And this is the kind of thing I think that puts people off Freud, really, Hannah. You can see why, because nobody wants to look at people they know and their own parents and their brothers and sisters-in-laws and see that dynamic because it's creepy and weird. It is creepy and weird, but also I think it, I, I don't think it has held up necessarily. Yeah. These areas, I don't think that they've held up. Not I in have, that straightforward way. No. Like this is why you don't get on with your mother-in-law. And I have a lot of issues with this whole area, not just for the obvious reasons, but the whole penis envy, fear of losing the penis conflict um, and the Oedipus conflict is supposed to be resolved when the boy develops into a good manly man and it's unresolved if he shows any kind of feminine aspects. So I'm very sorry, Freud, but I think you were caught in a big old binary trap there. Yeah, that's some bullshit. You can exactly. see why the basis of, you know, you can see why he's the, the so-called father of psychoanalysis, but that stuff needs needs a revise. It was, and the thing is, is that it has been revised. A hundred years of revisions have taken place and we now know that there's other, you know, this is just one relationship dynamic that can contain a lot of tension in a family, but there's many other dynamics that can contain tension. Um, Blended families, extended, distant family members or separated families can all present a really complicated picture. Yes, I was waiting for this to come up. Um, this is a big one. Shout out to all my listeners who are children of separated parents mm-hmm. and for whom Christmas brings up memories of going to lots of different houses and kind of feeling a bit weird the whole time, but you don't know why because you're still eight. I think this is a huge topic for people who spend their holiday season trying to spend time with every single little section of their family yeah those will not always be together dealing with in-laws trying to merge friendship groups in the interest of time it can be really stressful and not enjoyable to do it all Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're left with that feeling of not giving enough of yourself to anyone spreading yourself too thin as it's known yes emma we have zero experience of that you and i (laughs) is that correct (laughs) 
No, it's we not correct. We always spread ourselves the appropriate amount. <laughs> um, that is something that I have dealt with a lot in the past and had, and I think it's part of why I'm hesitant to be a Christmas person, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, because that's the first thing I think of. Um, that has changed for me in recent years due to therapy. Whoa. But I have thoughts to share on being a child of separated parents on Christmas Day. If anyone is interested in Pain Corner, do you want to go to Pain Corner? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I always will go there. (laughs) So this is my my thought when people talk about Christmas Day and spending time with family. My immediate association with that is guilt Mm. because I grew up with my parents separated from a young age and I felt that sometimes I didn't want to spend time with one part of the family or another. Mm. And then I would have to do the journey anyway. Mm-hmm. And I felt guilty leaving the first family house, mm-hmm. guilty arriving at the second family house. Yeah, because you just felt guilt the whole just, time. Just guilty, guilty, guilty. And you, if you miss the meal with one side of the family, then you get to the other part when people are giving out presents. Maybe someone didn't know you were coming. Mm. You don't have a gift. There's so many complicated little small um dynamics that are at play in in both sides of that it's so complicated it is and it's also you're expected to be extremely happy the whole day (laughs) because it's christmas and you're a child and And you're a child and and you're super stressed you're being given gifts all the time and and you're maybe a bit overwhelmed by the gifts and oh yeah i think it's a lot i would i would love if um People would write in and tell me their experiences of Christmas, either yeah. in, you know, families where maybe the parents are together, but you didn't really all get on mm. or um, if your parents are separated or anything unusual, I would love to hear because I've always felt a bit bad for having that association. Well, I think there'll be a lot of people who will have those kind of experiences in common with you. Actually, when when you first said we don't have any experience of that, I thought you were talking about separated families. And I was like, (laughs) well, actually, um, because, of course, I do have, you know, I'm very lucky because I have a very amicable arrangement with my ex, the boy's dad. And so we alternate Christmas Eve. But they're always with me on Christmas Day for the dinner because that's my main thing that I'm into. Mm-hmm. And it might get to the point where they ask to go to their dad's for Christmas dinner and that'll be okay too. Um, I was lucky that by the time I separated from my ex, I had been working in my job counselling parents and that involved a lot of working with separation. And part of the job involved becoming familiar with best practice around separation. Mm-hmm. And I worked with mums and dads who were separated so I had a lot of empathy for everyone on every side of that. So I went into that, my own personal situation, in the absolute best frame of mind that it was possible to have. That's uniquely ideal. It was really. very lucky, really. So really, any hurt or resentment or anger I had, I processed in my own time and I kept that firmly away from the children. The rule with separation basically is you put the children first. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you realise that they love both their parents and they should have time with them and it should be made easy for them. So I actively facilitated my children's relationship with their father. If they said, for example, that they were they wanted to see him more, they were missing him throughout the week because they were only seeing him at the weekends, I would contact him and say, we need to do something here because they want to see you a bit more. And sometimes that was difficult. You know, sometimes I just had to tell them, unfortunately, not this time or it just won't work at the minute. 
or just help them cope with the separation or whatever it was, but always keeping their best interests at the forefront. Mm. And that also includes with their extended family. So I also facilitated that, dropped them off to Nanny Grace, who they adore, you know. They're loved by so many people. And how could that be something that I would keep them from or make difficult for them, you know? I would be doing them and myself a disservice. I always say, this is their lives I can't fuck this up, you know, like yeah. that's my, that's my main parenting um, rule. Um, <laughs> Don't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. So children of separated parents can have poorer outcomes. So outcomes measured across a number of factors like um, educationally, mental health, physical health, criminal involvement, that kind of thing, than children of parents who stay together, but not universally. Mm-hmm. And the children who have outcomes that are equivalent to their peers whose parents stay together have parents with a very amicable breakup who had low levels of conflict. And this is not to panic anyone who hasn't been able to have a situation that easy because I know I was lucky. Mm. Like, I can't sit here on my smog high horse and be like, (coughs) I did all that. It's more that I was lucky. Mm -hmm. And I know that not everybody has that kind of easy situation. Um. And there are many mitigating factors that help children navigate these kind of things. And children are resilient. Mm -hmm. So I don't want anybody to panic. However, if you have the opportunity to improve a situation for your child, you should take it. And if that means being an adult and swallowing your pride for the sake of their contact with someone, then you should do that as well. Yeah. And relevant to the topic of this episode, not let something like a major holiday... um, sort of cloud your decisions around that kind of process like putting your children at the forefront maybe say for example you really wanted your kids to be there for Christmas dinner with you Mm -hmm. but they cry protest scream that they want to go to their fathers Mm -hmm. and even though that will hurt you and even you're like but it's Christmas and it's traditional it's in everyone's best interest to go okay yeah you can this year and see how it goes oh totally you I mean know, I would just put my big girl pants on and yeah. and cope with it you but know you can see why that's hard for people because of course because of the sort of pressure to have like present as an ideal family unit or something yeah which is totally unrealistic for I think most people well that's one of the big problems that I think we have with this whole holiday you know we should fix it with this episode okay if we can just fix it in the next 15, 20 minutes, hands, that'd be great. So so something very relevant to this discussion is I came across, well, it's an organisation that I know called Family Mediation NI. Um, I've known their work for a long time, but actually just they came to my attention on Twitter because they had started to publish a series of tips for Mm -hmm. families who are separated over the holidays. I think they're on about tip five or six now. So I've got five of them written down to share them with you here. But if you want to look them up, they're on Twitter and Facebook. I don't think they have Instagram. But so number one is it's important that children are reassured they will be spending time with you both. Number two is keep your discussions structured and not with children present. So avoid having discussions via text or social media as these can often be open to interpretation. Three, are there only certain dates when they can see extended family? Put yourself in your ex's position. How would you feel if you were them. So it's just about being flexible. Yep. Um, Four, remember there are no set rules. Focus on what is in your children's best interests. If they are very young, will they struggle to be away from either of you for too long, etc.? And then five is explore what compromises you can both make. You will both need to be prepared to give as well as take. 
if they're with you for Christmas Eve this year, can you both agree the other parent will have them the next year? So all of those tips fundamentally are about managing or avoiding conflict, increasing empathy for the other person and putting children first. So, you know, those are the yeah. Those are the fundamentals. And openness, there's a lot of a lot of the basis of those tips is openness. Mm-hmm. Like be open to exploring. Be open, be compromise, flexible, yeah. Um keep other people's perspectives in mind, um mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I feel like we could say a bunch more about family conflict, but I think we should save that for part two of this holiday special. This going to be a two-parter. It's absolutely, yeah. Because we have stuff to do. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> I don't know what I was saying there. <laughs> we got stuff to say, baby. Okay, so the next point in our points that can be problematic about Christmas is the meal. The meal. Okay, so these holidays often revolve around a huge meal, a big feast. And that can be very problematic for anybody with any kind of disordered eating. There's pressure to eat the food, like the food. You might feel surrounded by triggers or pressured about recovery. It's a freaking minefield. Stressful. Yeah. This, that's huge. This leads me nicely to another point. Mm-hmm. Consumption of substances. Ah, so you've brought up the aspect of food and disordered eating there. Mm-hmm. We could say so much more about that, but I also want to talk about alcohol because so much of socializing during the festive season is based around drinking. Yes. Either drinking with family, seeing friends you haven't seen all year, and naturally you go out and get drinks and it's a time of high jubilation. Yes, it's making me want to drink right now, actually. I know. And you, you come out of it in January, though, feeling simultaneously indulged and depleted. Mm. You know that hangover feeling where you're like... That's the thing about alcohol. I have no energy, but also I absolutely must do something about this because <laughs> I feel so terrible. Yeah. I'm sure we've all done it. I'm not about to launch into some anti-drinking lecture on this podcast because, okay. like, you know, I'm not Mary Whitehouse. But right now I think it is something to consider and just have in your mind. When I think about some of the things that make me more nervous about Christmas in general, mm. the the pre- very large presence of alcohol is is one of the things yes and I need to watch myself around it because it can be something that's upsetting for me Mm -hmm. but I also need to watch my own consumption because I know that excessive consumption of alcohol makes me feel really bad yeah even though for the few hours that you're doing it it feels really good um but it's so easy to just let yourself go into the trap of being like it's Christmas and doing it for the sake of partying and then suddenly wondering why you feel so weird and bad around like the 29th of December. Yeah. You're like, oh, I feel so bad in my skin. <laughs> I'm just going to say at one time, this is much for myself as anyone else. Alcohol itself is a depressant. Yes. So if you're someone like me who has a double whammy combo of a tendency towards depression and a history of being around people with alcohol problems, it is seriously daunting to enter a festive season where having a drink in the name of fun and merriment is a nearly everyday occurrence. Mm. And pe- you might get hit with the old response. Although I think people are getting better at this of being like, why are you not drinking? That's no crack. Come on, like it's fun. So you yeah. don't want to get that. Um, so the reason I'm bringing that up is because it's all about, I guess, not self-control, because that sounds like a punishing term, but like keeping an eye where you are with things Mm. being like am I drinking too much am I just drinking because I know it's expected at this party or event or whatever 
am I just drinking because it's there and I yeah. feel like this is the season of consumption and that's what you do? Mm. Or am I drinking because I'm really enjoying it and it's complementing the meal or whatever? Yes, All those well, different considerations. You know that I need my arm barely twisted at all to have a glass of wine, really. you know, Me as well. I mean, <laughs> it's delicious and fun. Um, but I do think that that is very relevant to the, to the food and the eating yeah. triggers as well. So depending on your relationship with a particular substance, you know, it brings up a lot of very complicated feelings. It can be very emotional. The other thing that people get is, um, depend on, I mean, if you're from a, you know, good Irish family, you'd be strongly encouraged to be eating all your food and why are you not eating and God, you've lost a lot of weight or... You know, in our family, it'd be probably the more the tendency towards saying you've put on a bit of weight. Maybe yeah. you shouldn't have seconds, We're all you know. really open with each other about that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think people should comment less on other people's bodies. Yeah, sometimes, it, you know what, most of the time it's not helpful. No. And it's, it's unnecessary. It's not helpful. But also you need to be aware that, that people could have larger issues with things yeah. than just, you know... Uh, you know, just that you think they look great because they've lost a stone. You yeah. know, maybe it's actually not a good thing for them that they've lost a stone. So yeah, it's a minefield. It's a minefield. Yeah. Um, I mean, we all have a cheese board mm-hmm. and spending money, etc. But I do think we do ourselves a disservice in following this narrative that's often pushed, and we fall into it naturally. It's like this weird, like mini life cycle that begins creeping into the collective just around like the end of October. Oh, yeah. It starts so early now. It's, it, you can feel it happening. And I've caught myself doing it in work. You ask each other, are you well, are you ready for Christmas? <laughs> You're all set for Christmas. Oh, no. People go, no, I haven't even thought about it. Oh, it's not even November. Then we get really stressed about buying things and speaking in anticipation about the weight we would think we are going to gain. Yes. Then we have Christmas Day, and then afterwards we say things like, it's always anticlimactic, Christmas Day. It's so anticlimactic. Then we're beginning to hear stuff in the media about, like, Boxing Day sales, and there's a sense of urgency, suddenly getting rid of stuff. If you're not spending money in the sales, you're missing out on deals. Yeah. So, you know, be stressed about it, even though we were just told to do that leading up to Christmas. So economically, it makes no sense. Uh, Then we start hearing and seeing adverts that we assume and imply that we are big and bloated after overindulging and stuff about festive pounds and mince pies. Oh, my God. And we feel so bad about ourselves. And we say things like, oh, January is such a bad month. So long. You just feel feel so down after Christmas, don't you? Why do we do this, Emma? Is my question. Oh, we've got some real problems What's in society, going on? I think. It's like we're in like an abusive dynamic. We with are Christmas. with society, with, with our way Bullshit. of existing in this world. It's bizarre that we start into this process of Christmas as this season of consumption that starts in November and ends with the January sales. And then we're all in debt and we spend yeah. a dark, long January regretting everything we've done before that's not the that that seems bad to me yeah jesus would not have been a fan i don't think he would have been chill with that at all well that long rant in parts was my way of introducing something that i've sort of developed in my brain Mm -hmm. over the past couple of years mostly through therapy which is the thing that in my head Mm -hmm. i have termed emotional sobriety emotional sobriety emotional sobriety so that's just the phrase that 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 means to me something Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean 
it's not a, like an official term. Okay. I'm not using it in the 12 step sense. Okay. Um, and it's not an official, you know, like technique or anything. But it means to me, basically, it's like a schema that I've developed in my mm-hmm. brain to be She's, like, here's a psychology stuff. student now. I'm a talking psychology about student. Schemas. Did you know about it? Um, it means to me, like, not getting swept up in things. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm talking about it in the in the Christmas sense because I um, find it better to reject, not to reel against or anything, but just to be like, I'm not going to do those. I don't do those conversations. Mm-hmm. Like in a few times in work, people have been like, well, you're all excited for Christmas. And I go, yeah. And I don't not let engaging. the conversation go any further. <laughs> I'm not engaging in that. I'm not I'm not going to ask them about their shopping. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say anything about exercise. I'm just, I'm like, yeah. As if someone had said, are you, happy, are you excited for the weekend? I'll be like, yeah, yeah. That's it. It ends there. Um, so not getting, yeah, not getting carried away. Yes. Not getting sort of brought along in that big sweeping tide of guilt and excitement all bundled up. Mm-hmm. I am aware that this sounds boring. I don't think it sounds boring at all. Say well, more about it. One time I went to a Buddhist thing with my mum when mm-hmm. I was like 10 and it was just like a talk basically about like what what is Buddhism. It was in some place in Belfast mm-hmm. and somebody was asking the, the speaker for like clarification. Of, what do you mean by just taking a Zen approach? And the person's explanation was like, say, say you start dating someone new. Um, try not to ride the high and then you because you get the crash. Yes. And I remember exactly thinking I was like, thinking. oh, that sounds that sounds pretty cool. And then the, the audience member who had asked this rightly was like, but I want to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought like, yeah, that's also a good point. Mm-hmm. My 10 year old brain was like and the tennis match. So that is sort of similar to what I'm saying here. And I'm not saying that I don't enjoy things, uh-huh. but I try not to give myself over to the grand sweep of emotion yes that leaves no room for anything else Mm -hmm. like say if I were to get extremely excited about um someone that I had a crush on Mm -hmm. in the past I'm definitely guilty of being like I am in love with this person we will be wed my life Mm -hmm. solved and that is obviously not the case Mm -hmm. so now I try to think to myself it's absolutely fine if they don't fancy me I might be slightly disappointed but nothing bad will happen to me. I won't Absolutely. die. Absolutely, You'll have a feeling. I'll That's have a feeling. I'll be able to deal with the feeling because I know how to do that now because of therapy. Mm-hmm. Or, for example, if I do really badly or really well in an assignment, mm-hmm. I celebrate or commiserate for a time. I do not let it cloud my future thinking. Maybe yeah. in like, I am shit. This is awful. I should have studied harder. I'm going to do badly in the whole degree. Mm. Or, oh, I'm amazing. I don't need to work as hard as I did. Mm. I try to avoid those Big peaks, big troughs in thinking. Mm -hmm. These sound boring or obvious now that I'm saying them? Not at all. No, I think that this emotional sobriety thing, I think you've really um, explained it really well in terms of, I think everybody can identify with that thing of feeling really swept away with the high Mm -hmm. of something. And even when it's um, an anticipatory High. So like something with Christmas where you're building the thing up in your mind. I did it a few times when I was younger with New Year's. Mm -hmm. And especially when we had family over from like France or something like that. So whenever I was young and um, my brother 
from France, they were all older than me, obviously, so I couldn't really go to the parties. Yeah. Right? I started going much earlier than I should have, really. <laughs> but um, a lot of the time they left me behind because they didn't want to bring their little sister. I was technically a child. Yeah. I was a teenager, but I was technically a child. So once I became an adult, if they were around, I, I was expecting that same level of party. Oh, yeah. I was anticipating that there was going to be this crazy party Tons of people, maybe yeah. dressing up, everybody be really drunk. I would be there fully in the thick of it. And, it, you know, sometimes it just didn't happen because yeah. then they had children as well. You yeah, know? life moves on and it's it's not like one big room that you're not allowed into. Yeah. It's like things change. And so it's desperately disappointing when you build up something, when you let yourself get carried away with the high of any particular type of situation. Yeah. Because... It's never realistic. It's You're always going to come down. Other thing, it might be good for different reasons than you expected. But uh, I think if you are rigid in your excitement about things, you cannot then see the other good that might come along. Mm-hmm. You can only look for the one that you wanted. Yeah. And that's a surefire way to be like, what? What's going on? Yeah. This isn't what I thought. This is not the image I had in my head. Mm-hmm. That That is... Something that I hold in my mind pretty much all the time now. Well, it's brilliant. Because if I don't do that, and mm. sometimes I do slip up, I'm not saying I have it like totally zanned out, mm-hmm. things get super messy for me mm-hmm. in my emotional brain. Yes. So does that make sense, Emma? It makes perfect sense. And I also, I do think it's a sign of maturity as well. I think that the older people are, the easier they find to do this naturally and then also when you have big life events that shift your perspective, you find that you you worry less about or you build things up less, I mm. think, because you've get, got more of a sense of the bigger picture. And just what you were saying there about assignments, you know, actually you got a really good result recently. And in hindsight, I feel like my um, reaction to it was sort of lukewarm, but only because I just felt it was expected and kind of like, Oh, you know, you get good results, you'll get. Uh, I wasn't like, yes, it's amazing, I can't <laughs> believe it. Because that wasn't my reaction. I was like, oh yeah, that's good. That's what I, I thought you would get, a good result, you that know. That was my reaction. And then I remembered <laughs> that I worked extremely hard, like yeah. uncharacteristically hard on this one assignment. And I was like, oh, and I did get a good mark. So later on in a couple of months when I'm half-assing something, I should remember this. Yeah. And be like, do you remember when you worked super hard? <laughs> and you got that really <laughs> and good And you got result. a good mark. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know. Um, no, it makes amazing sense. And I absolutely love this concept. You Thank you. You recently introduced it to me because um, you were having, you were doing a lot of socialising. Yes. And you were saying, I'm going to be okay with the socialising because I have this practice that I do, which is emotional sobriety. And I'm going to approach this. In that way, rather than approaching it like, rah, give me all the Prosecco, put it in my face. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I have also done that approach to, to things in the past as well. Listen, sometimes that approach is super fun, really tempting. And it's it's not a massive failure if you do do that. But like, I just know from experience that that approach, the measured approach, keeping it on the level mm-hmm. is kind of how I think about it in my head, works so much better. And it leads to fewer rocky patches mm. where you're scrambling. Or for me, the thing that will happen if I if I kind of let that slide is that I will go to extremes 
Mm-hmm. So an extreme. Yes, it's, the, it's the going to the extremes that's, yeah. that that's where you can let yourself Extremes happen. of mood more than anything else, yeah. like extreme depression mm-hmm. after a high or elation so much that you can't really see anything else. Yeah. And it becomes like a, a, a sort of a narrowing of vision or something. Yeah. Trying to keep an open horizon, man. Yeah. I mean, the thing, when people say that um, life is all about peaks and troughs, it is, and it is a normal thing to to react and have, um, you know, be extremely happy about something and then feel that things are anticlimactic afterwards. And that's mm. all very normal. Having those highs and lows in life is really, really normal. Um, and as you go through life, one of the things that you're trying to learn to do is make those highs more level and the lows less low. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to sort of level out the highs and lows. There's always you can never avoid sorrow or difficulty in your life. Absolutely you know? not. But you what you can control is your um your reaction to those things to yeah. a certain degree or how you judge yourself for those reactions. Totally. Because something that I've done quite a lot in the past is is have a, a huge re- emotional reaction and then go, that was so stupid that I was so excited about that or that was ridiculous that I was so sad about that. That makes no sense. Mm. But those things do make sense at the time. Of course they do. What doesn't make sense is me beating myself up about them after the fact. No. Um, I feel like a lot of what we've talked about has been to do with excess. And I did realise that we hadn't touched much on the, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, but financial kind of excess. And we Mm. talked about spending a lot and then being in debt in January. It wouldn't be our area of of expertise, Hans. Um, But I know that a lot of people will be struggling this year in particular, maybe, and last year as well, um, with money difficulties at this time of the year. And that can bring a lot of distress. Um, I would like to recommend a podcast just before we um, break. Because we're going to, well, we're going to carry on recording, guys, to be truthful with you. But it's, oh. She doesn't Don't like me show telling them the secret. The curtain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just before we finish this first part of our holiday special, um, I wanted to recommend a podcast called Squanderlust. Oh, yeah. Um, so You've recommended that to me before. Yes. Yeah, so it's a podcast about um, money and psychology. So the psychology of why we spend money, you know, debt, different things like that. Um, and they did do an interesting episode just recently about um, gift giving and extravagant gifts. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, And I wouldn't spoil it for you because it is very interesting. It's a subject that I do find very interesting because I would say that I'm very good at gift giving. You are excellent gift giver. But I'm also quite a needy gift giver. Right. So I'm given the gifts. I'm given, I want to give people a really good gift because I want them to feel good. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's part of that that, I want them to feel good about me. You know, maybe I'm looking for approval through perfect gift delivery systems. Okay, that's quite deep, yes. So, not to get too deep when we're about to stop, but, um, you know, that is something to watch whenever you're coming into this season where you're encouraged to buy, you're encouraged to spend. Um, And I think that more and more people are realising that, you know, things are not... Not what we want. Things are Things not, are not what we need. Yeah. We need connection and, you know, peace. And, and love. And love. Peace on earth. So we will see you in part two of this episode um, because we're going to have a little break. But for you, this will be happening 
in two different times. Several days Two time. different release dates. Weird. How does it work? <gasps> I don't know. Emma mostly does that part, part of the podcast making. <laughs> but I expect that it will be good. So we'll see in part two. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Thanks therapy. therapy. Oh, no. You can do it. <laughs> okay. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage. Oh my God, I can't believe I forgot that. What is it? Encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. Yeah. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the use of good and no. no. <laughs> oh my God. Encourage the appreciation believe. of. Do you want to swap? Yes. So I, I go first. You go first then, yeah. I have no that was concept such bullshit. of why. Feel <laughs> <laughs> me to say that? Well, so we're taking a little break now. Yes, dude.